The following podcast contains mature language and adult discussion. This week on Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear. There we hatched a plan, an attempt to finally have a work go over in this day and age. And I'll never forget how hard she she slapped me. All right, more kayfabe, you're back. I showed up too, so let's do a damn podcast. Kind of how I'm looking at it at this point. I'm a little sniffly. I'm a little. It's very unprofessional for me to go on like this, but what am I going to do? Not show up for you? Promised you I'd be here once a week. So that's what you get. You know, every once in a while, when you're a when you're a content provider, schedule is one of the things that you are responsible for and committed to. That's part of our implicit agreement. Barring any real issues, I told you I'd be here every week for you, so. It's my job to do that. I break that commitment and I let you down a little bit. So there is that. But then there's also the commitment to entertainment. Um, I can't go on here and just have meandering conversation that doesn't go anywhere. And like, I've got to have a point. Um, I'm taking your time. You're giving me 60 minutes at least a week. so, you know, I, I, I got to bring it. I got to be here for you. So in doing that and when, you know, in running kayfabe commentaries, which is for those who don't know, a professional wrestling oriented sports company, interview based programming, stuff that goes inside the business, inside the talent, and sometimes can get a little, the shoot interview, as it's called, has a reputation for being provocative. And I'll, I'll accept that. Um, sometimes it's it's considered a lot more lowbrow than I think it has to be, and certainly than than we produced. But provocative, I'll accept. Wrestling fans uh, want to get something, something they don't know already, and you know sometimes it's those salacious details we enjoy most. So then the question becomes: What's the responsibility of the content provider? Me? What's my responsibility? What's my responsibility as a host here um, to somebody? I never want to double-cross a worker. Somebody who comes on the air to us, um, we're very good to the talent at Kayfabe Commentaries. Uh, we go out of our way to make sure they're comfortable and they're, they're respected. We do have fun with them. Listen, I, depending on what they, they serve up, we're going to have fun. You know, it's, it's entertainment. They are entertainers as well. So they're part of that implicit promise to their fans. So what I'm getting at is on Twitter, I'd seen, uh, I, I did a, uh, I did a podcast this, uh, I guess this past year, I, I don't remember exactly how, how long ago, but uh, it was, uh, it was on a show called uh, Husey, H-U-G-H-E-Z-Y. Out of Ireland, and uh, so we talked about. He brought up the Vampiro interview that I did uh, on You Shoot, You Shoot Vampiro. It was a lot of fun. It was a great interview. 
Uh, we talked a little wrestling. It got a little wild. We delved into the occult for a while with Vampiro. And it became, quite honestly, one of the shows that gets talked about, you know, beyond its expected life cycle. There are some things that happen on some shows that live well beyond the show. So we could have done an hour and 45 minutes on professional wrestling, Vampiro's career, the risks he took in the ring with his body, great angles he he uh, got over working for uh, Mexico, working up here in the United States. We could have done an hour and 45 minutes on the 15 minutes about his foray into black magic. Is that even a term anymore? I don't know. The occult, let's just say. Um, alternative religion, perhaps, if we're going to be politically correct. That shit, that 15 minutes is what's going to outlive the show. Okay? And it happens from time to time on different shows. Um, you don't know in advance when that's going to happen. And that is one of those things that is, it's a magic formula that's made by the talent, myself, in our discussion. And then uh, how receptive the viewers are to it. And then them making it go viral and you know taking clips of it and posting it and stuff so we were talking about that some some of the occult some things the occult now the vampiro vince russo used to talk about how he would vince russo and uh, glenn gilberti disco inferno thought that a uh, vamp was stretching the truth if not out outright lying about stories now, they've been saying this for a long time, even before he was on my show, even before he was on You Shoot, I should say. So he came on, and we started talking. And, and he told stories about that there were some some spirits following him from Guatemala, I think. Maybe I got the country wrong. Honduras? Honduras, maybe. A um, couple of spirits following him. I think they were in the room with us. I asked if they were maybe rats from Mexico that he did wrong, and he said, no, they were definitely spirits. So listen, you're going to come on the show. We're going to talk about spirits flying in the sky. We're going to have a laugh. This is entertainment, right? We're entertainers. If it's not entertaining, if we don't have fun, if we don't take those chances, we don't eat. So um, we had some fun with it, and uh, I know Vince Russo and, and Glenn Gilberti played I think the entire, or, or at least broke down the entire You Shoot program and went story for story and voted on whether they thought it was true or not. Um, he talked about spending the night at Aleister Crowley's house in Sicily. Um, so listen, these are the claims. I'm not saying they're true or not. How could I say I wasn't there? But this has been my point throughout owning kayfabe commentaries and more than that, hosting the shows how could I say I'm not there? I don't have a lie detector, nor do I want one. It's the talent's job to be entertaining. So if Vampiro comes on the show and says he blew the ghost of Alistair Crowley in front of God and everybody, I'm not going to stop him. That's the entertainment value of that show, right? That's that implicit agreement. He's going to come on and be entertaining. Whether he believes it or not, I also don't care. He's going to come on. He's going to tell the story. Now, it's going to have a life of its own after that. We put it out. What 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 do we expect? What, what What's the expected reaction of the public? I'm getting flustered here. I'm flustered. I'm flubbunged over here. What is the expected reaction from the public to say, there's ghosts above your head right now on the set of this show? What is the expected reaction of the public to say, you're sleeping in Aleister Crowley's house? Well, maybe he did. He slept in a morgue as well. I think he he said he slept in a morgue. Um, 
as part of these rituals. Who is to disprove this? Who is to say it's true or not true? I guess Vince Russo. But more than that, you've got to expect that to have be met with great skepticism and some comedy. So Vampiro, uh, so when this segment of the Husey uh, show came on, Vamp said, uh, "I, uh, what was his exact quote? I'm trying to find it here. Well, anyway, he said, I'm part of the problem. I thought you were my friend. We joked. I can take it, but I told you real things because I trust you, not for you to make fun of me where I can't defend myself and I assumed you would stick up for me. No problem. That's our business. He wanted me to stick up for him when I was on this interview show. Again, I stick up for him. Well, I I didn't give him a lie detector test. I'm sure he believes the ghosts and and all that, and that's, that's fine. But, but do we not really expect that that's going to be met with some comedy? You have to. Not saying it's true or not true. But it'll be met with, with skepticism and some laughs. So he goes on to say on Twitter, but it's all good, man. I am your friend and always will be, but a little disappointed. Um, but I do thank you. Lesson learned. I wish you the best and always continued success. So, I, I mean, I didn't know where he stood. It, it sounded like a backhanded compliment. I don't know. I didn't want to be upset, though. So I, I, did, I did post. I did write him. Um, uh, I posted on Twitter. I tweeted, I guess. Listen to me post. I'm 47, so yeah, come on. I tweeted, I said, look, I thought we had a good vibe. You must be aware of the entertainment value of some of the things we discussed. If it wasn't entertaining, the talent wouldn't eat. The You Shoot episode is four years old, and people are still talking about it. Congrats, and I happily accept a thank you. And that's the point, that we're still talking about it. It's still entertainment value. Um, I I don't want him to have his feelings hurt, but I do want him to understand um, that some of the things he said are naturally going to be met with skepticism. As he was saying it, I knew that fans would meet this with skepticism. So on the set, we had some fun. So my apologies to him. Um, if he was offended, uh, I, 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 am I even apologizing? I, I don't know that I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't call him a bad name or, you know, there's lines I won't cross. I, I'd never, I don't drag people's family out, you know, usually unless they're in the business too. That's some stuff that I think is off limits. You know, if they're not famous and in the ring or then, then they're not, they didn't sign up for it. So, you know, you don't really want to spotlight them. But um, I, I guess I don't apologize, Vamp. I, I think we had fun. I think the fans thought it was fun. And, and, and God, God love you. I hope the spirits that are following you have gigantic cans and, 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 a, and a healthy, meaty booty. But, um, but you've got to expect that it's entertainment. And listen, the home run is, once again, people are posting about it. They're talking about it. The thing's like five years old. So you've won. You've won. We've all won. And listen, if you can have two Guatemalan spirits around you, it's just gravy at this point. The KC Vault. Want to see all of Kayfabe Commentary's content? It's all going to be up there. There's in the hundreds of hours of programming already on the KC Vault. $14.95 a month. One price. 
to watch all of our content. These shows were 20 bucks a piece just a few years ago on DVD, a la carte. Now, you've got like, I think there's like 90 full-length programs of kayfabe commentaries on there for one low price a month. Watch them as many times as you want, and you should. People tell me they watch some of our timelines three and four times. Watch their favorite years again and again. KC Vault. Go to kcvault.pivotshare.com. kcvault.pivotshare.com. Sign up. Join the revolution. We changed it all. Kayfabe Commandos stormed the Bastille. And, uh, and change things. CaseyVault.PivotChair.com Join- I'll put you over, Sean. Okay. <laughs> That's Brian Blair telling me that I get to go over tonight. I offered to do a 45-minute Broadway, but he said he's going to put me over. This is my... Uh- well, I'm going to say my old friend because our... Uh- our partnership goes back to something called Ring Roasts One. If you haven't blocked that out of your memory yet, Brian. No, I remember you clearly, Sean. I mean, um, you're a very kind and a gentleman, and said we'd be doing this someday. I didn't realize it would be now, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it only took seven years after the the damn uh, the damn roast. So um, I just I just I have to go back to that. I want to start there because it's probably what people are going to want to talk to to hear about the most. In my book that came out a couple of years ago, um, one of the revelations I guess I had in my pocket for a long time was what it takes to construct a modern day work. Everybody is so cynical now, and you know the the business is just. Uh, it's, it's not predicated really on having people believe anything anymore. So when something finally kind of gets put over the fans a little bit, it's, it's a bit of an event. So, you know, the, the whole chic thing that happened, Brian, where he like out of the blue started like calling you out on shoot interviews, we're getting together to do this roast and we said, listen, Brian's a must to have on the dais. It'll be a lot of fun. Then James from Legends of the Ring texts me and goes, we're going to have the Sheik hit Brian. I said, no, you're not, because Brian's never going to go for that. And James goes, yeah, come up come up to room 200 or wherever the hell that, that you guys were. And I walk into the room. And Sullivan's there. You're there. Sheiky's there. I, I'm, I'm walking through a cloud of smoke, cigarette smoke. I, was, I thought I was like in a, in a hotel in the 80s. And there we hatched a plan, an attempt to finally have a work go over in this day and age. I'm sure you remember that, Brian. Oh, of course I do. I'll never forget Scott Hall coming through the curtains. Jesus Christ. Neither will I. Neither, neither will the insurance company. Um, so, um, and I'll never forget how hard she she slapped me. Yeah, that was listen. That was up close, and I and I, I mean, if anyone has any doubt, get to see some footage of that somewhere. If you don't own the DVD, get. I mean, that was a that was a pop. I mean, he was there was there were no punches pulled, but that's what you wanted, Brian. 
Well, you know, I've always been the kind of person that believed whether there's a hundred people or a hundred thousand people that you always, you know, work as hard as you can and, you know, make people believe. I mean, you have people in the first row that, um, you know, if they don't believe, you don't have the luxury of a camera like you do on a Hollywood set. And, you know, with the different angles and the things that the bells and whistles that Hollywood has, you know, you're just right there in your modified pair of underwear <laughs> trying to have, a, you know, a believable match. And that's the way I was raised. But um, um, when he and, and I always like it laid in, it's the way it is. But when he slapped me, um, it wrung my ear my ear so bad, you know, that, um, I felt it for a couple days and that's just not in the script. Yeah, no, of course. I, I was just, I was shocked. I was, I was concerned. You were at the time you were, um, you were a public servant in Hillsborough County, right? Weren't you at the time? Yes. Serving. Yes. And I was concerned with like, just how it, anything like that would play in the media for you. So um, I was really shocked and and amused when when I learned that you wanted to to hatch a plan. So in that room with Sullivan, me, Sheik, and uh, James and Terrence, we kind of came up with with how it would have to go. And you know, seeing Sheik. And you, jovial kind of smiles, happy to see each other for so many years. It just it it put me into what what it must have been like in a locker room in the eighties or the seventies, where we were still trying to protect something, right? But behind the curtain, you guys had a brotherhood. You had a respect. You when you walked out there, like you said, laid in. But behind the curtain, everyone was a friend. Of course. I mean, I remember when I was breaking in with Hiro Matsuda at 106 North Albany Street. And, you know, right out of high school, I started going through the grind. And after, uh, you know, going to St. Leo College, playing football, um, the University of Tampa folded their football program and their wrestling program. So... I wound up, <laughs> all the scholarships were gone, so I was poor, had no money, and uh, Vince Gibson from the University of Louisville um, had given away all of his scholarships, so he said, go to see Tilroe Morrison, uh, who was a coach at Alabama with Bear Bryant, mm. and uh, he was at St. Leo College, uh, and they played club football, so they played, or we played uh junior varsity teams for duke and uh western a lot of different good schools and it was it was a great uh, it was a great football season and finally i went to louisville and um but every summer i was working out with hero getting stretched and doing all the push-ups sit-ups hindu squats wrestling for until you puked and you know they would never smarten you up i i actually asked paul orndorff you know i said you know Paul, uh, hero, uh, you know, smartened me up and, uh, 
you know, he uh, showed me a couple of moves. I said, why don't you give me a slam? And I think he knew that I was BSing him because <laughs> I just really wanted to see what it was like. And he slammed me and my hip was out for two weeks. I'll never forget that. And, you know, people don't understand just you, you pick up a normal person and slam them. It hurts. And, you know, it's um, it, you go through that type of an upbringing and you go through that type of a career and not to take away anything at all from today's athletes in the wrestling industry, but um, it was a whole different business. We had to listen to the crowds. If you had a match in Tampa, it wasn't this, it wasn't, you know, it was different than Atlanta or, or in the Omni or in Madison Square Gardens or wherever you went, Tupelo, Mississippi, I don't care. Uh, you listen to the crowd. If they're buying, you know, wrestling moves, I mean, you might be able to have a tremendous match with, you know, just doing chain wrestling and a few arm drags. And finally you, um, the heel, uh, you know, can't out wrestle you. So he gets some cheap Pete and, um, finally he misses something. You make a comeback and you go home. You know, you mentioned Paul for a minute. Uh, and I want to tell you back in 1984, I want to say it was, I was at the Meadowlands and you and Paul had an undercard match I mean, you guys maybe were like third, okay, on the card, uh, buried somewhere in the card, um, and it was, I think it was a 20-minute Broadway, and it was one of the best matches I'd ever seen. Now, I'm a kid, I'm 12 at the time, okay, so I'm there to see, you know, Hogan rip off his shirt and, and Piper ready to mouth off, but me and whatever, 10,000, however many people were there, were so invested in this undercard match. Do you remember the match that I'm talking about? Well, I had so many with Paul. I'm sure. What city? What city was it? It was the Meadowlands in Jersey, East Rutherford. Yeah, I, I did do a 20 minute Broadway with him there, and um, and then it was Tito Tito Santana and I got Paul ready for WrestleMania one, and the chemistry that I had with Paul started with you know, the dungeon with Hiro Matsuda, because I could stretch everybody that came in there. I don't care who it was, Hogan, they all know that I could stretch every one of them. Um, but there was some, and believe me, Terry was a tough, tough guy. He was strong. He was long and lanky and Hiro had taught him a lot of a good stuff. And, but Paul was just such a brute animal that you know, it was hard, very, very hard to put a hook hold on him or anything because he just could power out of it. But, you know, then the chemistry went on and I, Paul and I have had hundreds of matches together, hundreds, literally hundreds of matches together from, you know, from Mid-South um, to, you know, Mid-South was a great territory for us. And then when we took it, to um, the Northeast, to WWF, um, it was uh, it was a great chemistry, and you know not just the Meadowlands match, but matches all over. If I could only have uh, tapes of some of the matches that we have, I mean, there's a couple from St. Louis that are good. I remember one match in St. Louis when Vince McMahon uh, Jr. was uh, the announcer. He, but he was still like the boss because his dad was uh Vince McMahon senior god bless him what a wonderful soul uh was ill and junior uh chief came up to us and said uh caesar wants to see you 
in his uh, in his uh, dressing room or whatever. So um, Paul and I went to the to see uh, Vince, and uh, you know, of course, Chief had a pet name for everybody. For Vince, it was Caesar because he wanted to dominate the world and uh, the wrestling industry. And Vince came up to us and looked us in the eye. The greatest compliment I ever had in the wrestling industry. He said, that was the greatest match I've ever seen in my life. Wow. And I said, seriously? And he said, I mean that. I really, really mean that. I was there. The people didn't sit down. He said to me and Paul, to Paul and I, you judge your match by the reaction from the fans. Yeah. Not by what anybody else says. You look at the fans, you look at their expressions, and that's how you judge whether that's how you judge, that's how you know whether you uh, whether your work wa- was something that they bought. I mean, he gave us a great logical answer and he said, "I thought the match was real." And when he said that to us, I mean, both of us just couldn't believe that. Did you say, did you say immediately after, so when am I getting the belt? (laughs) No, you know, I didn't, you know, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, and Jimmy will tell you this, Jimmy Brunzel, um, I love Jimmy and I'll be with him obviously with Eric Sims coming up, um, you know, on uh, March March 7th. Yeah. March 7th. Yeah. We'll be together, uh, on March 8th, we'll be together, um, for Eric. Um, uh, but, uh. You know, Jimmy's always had heat with Vince, and I, I didn't know this till we did a podcast about nine months ago uh, that Jimmy had sued Vince before we were even the Killer Bees, and he and he won. What did he sue for? Likening, likeliness of confusion. I think it was he had done. He thought that I guess the High Flyers were going to come over or something. They didn't. And I think he made action figures or something, something oh, like. Wow. And, um, you know, I, I, had I known that before, I would have maybe thought twice. I mean, I again, I love Jimmy. He's the salt of the earth. But for some reason, for so many years, they have had such heat, and I could see it, and it was difficult for me. You know, watching him, the friction between um, him and Vince when we were promised the belts on three different occasions and, you know, by Vince personally, um, two times the message uh, came from George Scott. But, you know, being promised the belts three times is is too much. Finally, I I, I kept saying, George, um, please tell Vince, you know. Because uh, uh, he because he told us, well, the money's in the chase. The money's in the chase. And I said, yeah, George, but please tell Vince that sooner or later the people aren't going to believe in us if we don't win. Right. And you know, it just uh, more teams kept coming and more teams kept coming. And you know, you had the strike force. You had so many. The there they'll never be anything, in my opinion, like the '80s tag teams. Do, do you uh, think he was tag- keeping? Do you think Vince was keeping them off you and changing the plans because of the friction with Jim? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Did he did he ever suggest switching a partner for you? He, he suggested that we turn heel. And there's a 
tape, I believe, on YouTube where it was poorly done, but after uh, the Philadelphia Spectrum, we put the masks on, I think, and we uh, gave Hogan, roughed up Hogan a little bit, but uh, for a like warm up tease, but it, it really didn't work. Um, mm. I, I mean, in their opinion, and it, there wasn't a lot of thought put into it, Sean. It, it you know, either we could have turned heel and baby face against each other and started something or right after we won the Royal rumble, um, you know, we could have turned on, turned on, um, Paul Roma and, um, um, his partner at the time, um, uh, powers, Jimmy powers. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that would have been an ideal white meat, baby face tag team for us to be turn heel on. But see, I think to... you could have done it. I'm not, I think Jim might've been too white meat for it. I could see there was a little, I could see a thread of that in you, but I don't know about Brunzel as a heel. Yeah. I don't, I don't too yeah, likable as a heel. He's very likable. And, uh, you know, he's got probably the greatest drop kick that I've ever witnessed being right in the ring yeah. next to him. And um, only in, uh, only in this business is that a compliment, Brian? Me just me just telling you, your partner couldn't be healed because he's too likable, but not you. <laughs> only in, <laughs> only in no, wrestling. I, I appreciate that because I can be a you know uh, in in wrestling uh, because in Japan I was a heel. Uh, you know, I've been to Japan over twenty tours and. You know, I was always a heel there, but they wound up turning me babyface, which was the best thing that ever happened to me because then I got to wrestle the guy jeans. But uh, it was a lot easier, trust yeah. me. Yeah. Um, so often, Leon was my partner. I'd either have Leon as my partner, uh, Big Van Va uh, Big Van Vader, mm -hmm. and he'd love to do the finish where I had Keto or Fujinami or Inoki. Uh, in the full Nelson and they switch it and he hits me with the clothesline and I didn't have to even try. I would do a, a complete, uh, uh, 360 flip or 180, whatever in the ring, just because Leon was so stiff. But, uh, uh let me ask you a question. You have a, an extensive amateur background and, um, you were one of the guys that, in an era when I was watching as a kid, 70s and 80s, where the personality was almost as important, if not more important, than the in-ring work. There was so much emphasis on like the visual and the stick work. Um, but then there were guys that were just so believable in the ring. Like you said before, like when Vince thought it was real, you, ha you were one of the guys that was so believable in the ring how much do you think an amateur background contributes to the physical believability of the charade i think it has a, a a lot i mean it helped me tremendously because it's like eddie graham one of my mentors and the briscoe brothers and buddy colt used to always tell me you know it says wrestling on the marquee so you know, wrestle, you know how to wrestle, go, go wrestle first and then, you know, work into your high spots and things like that. And, and I tried to follow those, the, the advice that they gave me. And so the rest the amateur background helped a lot. The shooting background that I learned 
you know, over the three summers, three and a half summers with Matsuda and Carl Gotch and Bob Backlund and uh, Gordon Nelson and uh, Don Morocco. And, you know, so many people just were so kind, mostly because of their respect for the Briscoes, for Buddy Colt, for Eddie Graham. Um, but then they all became close friends of mine um, because I've always I've always been a humble person and always believed that, um, you know, whatever, whatever I'm given, that's from God. And, you know, I have to give back somehow. And, um, it, um, but even, those... in, even something like a knee drop, Brian, okay. So like your knee drop versus maybe someone who's more into the spectacle of the, of the time, the eighties and, you know, there was a difference, a punch, a punch from, I don't want to put anybody down, but let's take the biggest name in the business at the time, okay? And I know Hogan was trained by Hero and all that stuff, but I'm talking about guys with an amateur wrestling background. A punch from Hogan did not look like a punch from Brian Blair. There was, there was just a believability in these guys that had an amateur background. I don't know what it is. Well, you know, it's. I'll give you a good analogy. Uh, championship wrestling from Florida was the hottest territory in the nation um, for many years. And um, it was built on wrestling, you know, from uh, the Funks and the Briscoes, uh, classic feuds, you know, just um, so many guys would come in that with great uh, wrestling backgrounds that were just great workers. Uh, Johnny, I mean, the list Everybody that was anybody just about came through the Florida territory. But then when Dusty Rhodes and Dick Murdoch came, and I remember this vividly as a kid, um, you know, when Dusty and Dick, they they were much more, even as a tag team, there was a lot more showbiz, mm -hmm. with, especially with Dusty. But even Dick had a lot of that in him. And, you know, he... <laughs> Dick, uh, God bless Dick Murdoch. I got a great Dick Murdoch curl, killer Carl Cox stories. But anyway, um, um, they uh, when Dusty turned and he had all that charisma, and all of a sudden you the the territory went from fabulous to you know off the chart. I mean, you could there were more there were people just hanging outside the building trying to get in after this happened, and so. Um, you know, Dusty had that charisma and it's kind of like Hogan did, you know, when he came in, he didn't have to have that great punch. He didn't have to have all that because it was, you know, Hulk, Hulk Hogan and the Hulkamaniacs say your prayers, take your vitamins. And, you know, he had the stick and, you know, he um, people gravitated to. him. Oh, that was his superpower. No question. But it's just it, there. There's just the, you know, like it, Dusty's a great example to use also. Um pop a crowd like nobody else but i don't think anyone believed he was hurting anybody whereas if you watch a paul orndorff brian blair match you look like you're fucking each other up there's just no question about it let me take you to something else real quick tnt you do an amateur exhibition which gets heated and i can't remember for the life of me who that was against brady boone no who was it um you do you do what's supposed I, I to be an exhibition that, and it goes too segment. far. Yeah, I remember that segment and I forgot who it was. <laughs> I, I, I know it was. Uh, 
It was an it underneath was a guy. Who would you have chosen to do that if Vince said, would you do an amateur exhibition? It was a, I mean, it was an underneath guy they put you with. You were the, you were the star of that. And, um, but I just remember it goes too far and you guys end up taking shots at each other. Yeah, I just, uh, I can't remember. I'd have to see it. I mean, you know, Sean, it's, uh, I, I, somebody told me, uh, go to this site. I think it was fight night or whatever the site was. And they have every one of your matches. Right. So, so I went to it and they had like a thousand matches. I've had over well over 5,000, probably over 6,000 wrestling matches. So they had like one, maybe one fifth or one sixth of, of the matches that I've had. And so, you know, they don't, nobody, nobody has all those tapes when you're wrestling, you know, 300 and, 60 days a year and so many double shots so many so much you know double shots at tv double shots on sunday um you know uh, there you know you do that for you know a dozen all those even for vince you know going there you know brunzel will tell you we we wrestled 67 days straight and we're in four different countries um it, it was like you know, I, I don't understand. I look back and I say, how did we do that? Um, yeah, I don't know how you did that. <laughs> so anyway, but that, that's why I'm getting ready to have my 15th operation from the wrestling business. Yeah. Uh, well, just what just took, a, what took the hardest hit on you? Is it the knees at the back? What do you what is it? Well, I've had four operations on my right knee and then finally got it replaced tore my left quad right off the bone. Um, just had back surgery on August 2nd. And then, uh, the week before that I had a match, uh, with a guy named James Jeffries at the pro wrestling hall of fame. And I was crying, literally crying, uh, and on my admitting that I'm just a human being, but the pain was so intense that I, I had to have somebody help me get to the ring. And all of a sudden, you know, it was jam packed, sold out and they're hollering my name so loud. I, I am so appreciative to the fans, you know, that did that. Otherwise I couldn't even have gone out there and all of a sudden I had a match and it's amazing what you can do when, you know, the fans are, you know, pumping your, your adrenaline and, and giving you that feeling like, you know, you're there and they want to see you and you better perform. So, you know, you, you just work hurt and uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. It was uh, Bob Bradley. I just looked it up. Bob Bradley is who you do the amateur exhibition with and then end up uh, shooting on each other afterwards. Just in case it ever comes up in a trivia game. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) The Tampa guys, right? We're talking about Paul. We're talking about Terry. Um, Was there a bit of a rivalry with you guys? Is that fair to say? Or were you all just uh, in each other's corner? I was always in, uh, in Terry's corner, uh, in everybody, you know, I've had six shoots in my life where we actually fought, uh, to hurt each other. And I never started one of them. Who were and they? Will, Bob Bradley, obviously. Who I else? I'll never start a fight. I never have, uh-huh. but nobody's ever beat me up. And I just thank God for that. But it's, you know, they, um, you know, I guess when you're innocent, you know, you're, you're proven innocent and, you know, okay. I'll tell you who it was. Okay. It was moon dog spot 
in front of Dick Murdoch and uh, Killer Carl Cox in Shreveport, Louisiana. It was Bobby Jaggers. It was um, Ric Flair's favorite fight was uh, um, Matt Bourne. Hmm. Um, it was um, um, the other kid from uh, uh, St. Pete, that um, uh, a, a good guy, um, uh, a tough guy. Um, uh, 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 I'm sorry, the four concussions. Yeah, that's okay. But I'm not in the concussion lawsuit. <laughs> were they I'm, Were they all in the ring, these shoots, or were these locker room? Uh, no, these were all outside the ring. Okay. Never, never inside the ring. And, you know, I asked Bill Watts one day uh, after, you know, I beat up uh, Spot and he couldn't work for two weeks. I, I, I thought he was going to fire me. And he said, uh, and I said to him, I, you know, I apologize. And he said, no, 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 stuff like that happens. Don't worry about it. And then he booked us immediately together. And I said, Bill, what happens if, you know, I'm not going to start it, but if he does, I'm going to kick his ass. And he, go, and he said, good. He said, I, I said, that won't hurt the business, you know, because I'm green. And he goes, how can a shoot hurt the business, Brian? Come on. And, he, you know, he just, you know, he'd shoot right at you and say, yeah. hey, how can I shoot? Buzz Sawyer was another one. Um, um, was he as crazy oh, as it seemed to me? It, and then um, the guy that was messing with my ex-wife after I was so kind to him, Doug Summers, you know, I, I toured, you know, that's when Leroy McGurk tried to shoot me. Um, I beat Doug Summers to a pulp, all of them. I mean, not there's not a one of them I didn't beat to a pulp. And, uh, you know, you asked Ric Flair about the fight with uh, when Matt, Matt Borden sucker punched me. Then he tried to belly to back me in the bar full of the boys. Uh, <laughs> I mean, all the boys were there. And as he did, I turned in midair and landed on top of him. And he grabbed my ears and tried to pull my face down to bite my nose. And I bit his lip, spit his lip out and, you know, just left him there lying. But he left and he came back two different times. I mean, this he was a tough guy. Yeah. He took a beating and came back, and Ric Flair kept cheering it on. You know, oh, my gosh. And then um, even the third time, you know, I, I was trying to be even nice about it and, and let my guard down for one second, and he had his finger in my eye, and I'll never forget Ivan Koloff kicking his hand and said, no eyes. Mm. Uh, otherwise, he could have, you know, pulled one of my eyeballs out. You know, that, I mean, that's how brutal things get sometimes, and a lot of the fans don't realize that. Is, is this what the business is missing a little bit today? I mean, it's a very sanitized product. These 90% of these guys and gals, I mean, they're, they're athletes, no question, but they want to be movie stars or music stars. Or Do we need a little ballroom brawl action? Do we need a little bit of danger like it used to be? Possibly. i tell you what they need to do. First off, I could take – I mean, I love to watch um, – the Briscoes and the Young Bloods are one, for example, in a tag match. I could take their match and make it guaranteed twice as good for them and for the fans. For them is what what I mean is when they're when they get to be sixty like me, they're they are gonna. I just told you I'm getting ready to have my fifteenth operation, hmm. for, and I'm just a rotator cuff. It's no big deal on the 29th of January, but uh, 
you know, they are going to be lucky to be walking. And if they would just take three minutes and stop and let the heel work some heat spots for a minute so that you could get one big hot tag and go home. They, they don't do that, Sean. Mm. It's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's like a lost art almost. Nobody's teaching them that because it's not going to, I mean, I realize you got so much time. It's a new product, but these are just little things that I've done. You know, I've had a lot of matches in the last 10 years and I know every time I go out and do, you know, what I've always done that the people are into the match and, you know, you can, you can make them, you can control them. It's, it's so easy. I mean, it's just so easy. They don't have that luxury. Now they don't have the territories to learn in, you know, you, you have uh, NXT or whatever, and you, you go work and Steve Kern's one of my best friends in the whole world. One of the classiest guys in the whole world. Um, you know, he, he taught more talent in this business from Seamus. I mean, you name the guys in the WWE right now and half of them, have been taught or started by Steve Kerr. Hmm. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, what's the, what's the main thing that young guys get wrong all the time? What do you consistently see that you wish you could reach through the TV or on an indie show and correct too many high spots that mean nothing. Okay. Right. Too many false finishes. I mean, you almost have to pull out a bazooka and blow somebody's head off after some of the false finishes that you see that are so spectacular. You know, these guys are so innovative. The newer guys are 10 times more innovative than we were as far as high spots go. And it's like, who can out high spot the next guy? And so, it all, it's almost like a pinball machine. You watch a bing, bang, boom, boom. They don't take the time to tell a story because I guess you know, it takes a long time to learn that process, you know, to listen to the people, to, to see what they're buying, what they're not buying, what, what do they want to see? What did they come there to see? And what can you do to make them believe what you're doing is real? It's like, I always learned the, the simple philosophy, work a shoot, you work a shoot. Mm. So, um, you know, so that the, the people, can really get engrossed in into what you're doing and and really believe what you're doing is real and you know that happens now because the, the again the mindset has changed but you know people are looking for like a different thing now than they were then and you have so much more talking than walking if you know what i mean yeah i do um which was the most political territory that you were in where you had this sense pretty early that if you weren't like on the right side of the powers that be, it almost didn't matter what the hell you did. You weren't going to get a push. WWE. Yeah, I would guess that. Now, when you, when you, why didn't you go further? I mean, you were someone I, I would have put an IC strap on right away. Well, um, when I left in 84, I, I, I remember I was leaving. I was at um, Madison Square Gardens when uh, David Schultz <clears throat> slapped Stossel. Mm. And I was coming to Florida. And Vince had already 
told me, you know, that he wanted to give me a big push when I came back. And so I came to Florida. I became a Florida heavyweight champion for the second time. I had a great run here, uh, made a lot of money. And, um, you know, then I got the call. Uh, Terry called me up. He said, um, hey, Brian, uh, Vince asked me to call you. Uh, I need, you need to call him tomorrow. Um, but he wants to put you and Jumpin' Jim together for uh, to be a, a tag team. And it was kind of shocking to me because I knew I was going to come back. And I thought I was going to come back. And I thought I was going to come back in a, in a, in a single match. Um, and, um, I, you know, as a singles wrestler and instead it was a, a tag, but it was okay with me. And so, um, uh, anyway, I, uh, um, had, I remember Jim from, you know, magazines and stuff, the high flyers. And again, you know, we'll be the high flyers, both the high flyers and the killer bees, We'll be in Queens, New York on March 7th from 10 to 3. That's the first time ever, ever. And then, you know, again, on March 8th in uh, Albany, New York from 1130 to 230. So this will be the first time ever that the High Flyers and the Killer Bees are are combined. Like, so the High Flyers were like a, a you know, had a lot of magazine coverage. And um, so I knew Jimmy uh, as far as his personality as as far as you know, Bill Bill Apter and George Napoliano would uh, Napoliano would uh, write in the magazines, and they're supportive writers, of course. But uh, I had never met him, but Terry assured me that he was a wonderful person, you know. And uh, so I I went for that, and um, the only shot that I missed in my life, other than the one that I'm missing on the 25th because I'm double booked, I feel so bad for. Uh, promoter Carmen uh, DeSanto because I'm in Mexico on the 25th and I wrote it on January <laughs> 2019. So uh, <laughs> I have to say this, this is the second match I've ever missed. But the first one was I was on my way to um, Fort Myers and my I got a flat tire. Um, and I'm, I knew that, you know, they were pressing me to come to New York a week early. But I said, no, I've got to give my two week notice. And Mike Graham, um, I'm sure, was freaking out. And, uh, you know, we didn't have cell phones then, so he couldn't call me on a cell phone. But uh, um, I, I forgot somehow he got word to me, Brian, the, ho- the, house, is, the, house, is, the house is sold out. And, um, you know, whatever you do, please make it. But I didn't make it. Mm. And that was, that was a shot that I regret. Uh, missing, but then I went to um, uh, went up to New York for Vince and uh, became uh, uh, one of the killer bees with uh, Jumpin' Jim. And at that moment, you you, you come back. You you had the successful singles career, amateur background, serious athlete, and he hands you yellow and black bee trunks. What's your reaction? Well, he didn't hand those to me, actually, Sean, or to us, actually. We were in Brantford, Connecticut. We had just met. Everything was great. George Scott comes and he says, hey, listen, Vince wants you guys to think. He doesn't want you just to be Brian Blair, be Brian Blair and uh, jump at Jim Brunzel. He wants you guys to think of a catchy tag team name. And, um, you know, so George walked away. He was talking to George the Animal Steel, a couple other people. He said he'd be back 
like, I don't know, 20 minutes, half hour, whatever, but it, we had to be on in 45 minutes and think of a name. And uh, we started talking and all of a sudden the 72 Miami Dolphins came to my mind about, you know, you know when I was a kid, I, I, I've always loved football. And, uh, you know, they had the undefeated team and their linebackers all began with B's. Baumgartner, you know, Bonacani, ah. you know, and, and uh, they were called the killer bees. And I said, all of a sudden it just blurted out of my mouth, the killer bees. And Jimmy said, I like that the killer bees. And, and so George Scott, I said, we called George Scott over. So he hadn't even seen Vince yet. I hadn't even gone over to where he was going and said, George, uh, what about the killer bees? And George said, um, wow, that's got a great ring to it. I like that. Let me go tell Vince. He comes back and he says, hey, you guys are the killer bees. And all of a sudden, Lanny Poffo sitting there, uh, he's got, like I don't know how many pairs of trunks he's got in his bag, but a lot. And he pulls out this pair of bee trunks, uh, <laughs> black and yellow. And so that's how the bee trunks and the killer bees were born. What the hell was it doing in his bag, Brian? <laughs> you got to ask Lanny that. <laughs> was, he, was he going to sing a cabaret act after after the matches that night? For Christ's sake! You I don't know. know. I guess his mind was thinking. You, know. you never know it, Lanny. Listen, you uh, you took politics quite seriously, my friend, uh, as something uh, which followed your ring career. And I know one of the times we were together, we we were talking, and you were very passionately like talking about a, a stoplight program that you had. Um, installed in the county. Uh, tell us about how that all got started, your, your, your foray into a world more dangerous um, and volatile than professional wrestling, I would suspect, politics. Well, let me just say this first. I, I believe that a businessman makes a better politician than a politician. And I've, I've won one, two, three, four, five. I've never been defeated in a primary. And um, I've been in politics for many years. I, I know that a businessman makes a better politician because not only what you're talking about is the lights. Uh, somebody came up to me and said, uh, oh, well, a few people did, but especially this one person that was kind of the head of the Civic Association for an elderly um, uh, condo like an elderly condo association and they're over by the university of south florida and there were too many lights he they demanded a stoplight you know and you've got all these senior citizens i'm countywide in a county with a you know a million and a half people uh, larger than 10 other states and you know i had to run countywide in a county that's uh 1078.2 square miles whereas rhode island's 1221 square miles so you're in a you're in a county is about as big as Rhode Island, uh, one of the biggest counties in the nation, again, bigger than 10 other states. And you, you got to be innovative. And so I had this pressure. For some reason, a lot of people came to me to solve these problems. And I, I said, well, we can't put a light there. It's $250,000, but it's not so much that. Engine traffic and engineering says that uh, they can't sync the lights because they're too close together. So I, I thought, you know, school, because they had two people had been killed out of John Knox um, village where it's a, uh, you have to be, it's a 50 plus uh, place to stay. And, um, 
it was a very dangerous situation. The speed limit was uh, was 45, but people would drive 55 and 60 plus. Mm. So I said I was driving through a school zone, and I said, "Wow, let's put a school zone on steroids there." And so we did, and we called it a senior zone. And it was um, I was awarded the number one innovative. Uh, innovative solution in the United States of America for all the uh, 3,000 plus counties. And it, it was a great honor to do that. And being a businessman and being able to convince you have a seven uh, person board, so you've got to convince three other people that your idea is, is worth moving forward on. So I, I came up with ideas in four years um, two years on the as the chairman of the uh, Citizens Advisor Committee, four years on various boards with the county commission, um, that uh, we were able to save the Hillsborough County taxpayers over one billion dollars, and we only have a five billion dollar budget. So, you know, you save twenty percent of the budget in four years. That's a pretty big deal. And I'm an unabashed Trump supporter. And I say that, you know, because the media trashes them, everybody trashes them. And you just look at the, we've never had this great of an economy ever before. I've got a, uh, a son that's a drug addict uh, at 27 that's been on drugs since he was 16. 90% of the drugs come from the southern border. Listen, Blair Brunzel 2024, how does it sound? <laughs> get on the slate well you're very passionate clearly you you, you have your reasons for, for the way you vote I, I i would suggest they're probably a little more pure uh in you than maybe in uh, some others that seek office but uh listen you're very passionate and and that's to be rewarded i gotta tell everybody if you want to meet the man i'm talking to you can debate him you can side with him you can talk about his shoot with bob bradley you can go to either the big event, number 18, which is coming on uh, March 7th to um, Queens, New York, or uh, the following day, if you're in upstate New York, you can grab them in Albany. Listen, it's all at ESSpromotions.com. You can pre-order your meet and greet. And uh, I'm not wrong, Brian. You'll be happy to talk politics with anybody who comes up, right? Absolutely, Sean. I mean, I'll talk politics with anybody because I'd really like them to at least hear the other side. I, I know your time is uh, valuable, and I appreciate being on your podcast, on your show, Sean. It's uh, Sean Oliver. You're a wonderful man. Um, I appreciate Eric Sims for the shows that we're, we're about to have, uh, you know, from 10 to 3 in Queens, New York, and, you know, in Albany, upstate. I love, I miss Albany. Golly, that what a great town. Albany, New York. Oh, in Queens, so many great wrestling fans in New York. It's probably the greatest wrestling fans in the world. It's Listen, be if, you, if you're doing a weekend with Eric Sims, two words, independent accounting, okay? <laughs> Thank you, you, Brian. Thank you, Sean. God bless you and all your friends and the audience as well. Be Brian Blair. No people wanted to have me on. Me to have him on. Excuse me. I've only been talking all day to talk about the uh, ring roast thing and a lot more. He's an interesting guy. He's had an interesting career. The politics thing is very interesting to me, too. Um, you know, wrestling's a work, so is politics a work? 
you know, I, I always wonder about the workers that go into politics like Jesse and Brian and, you know, Brian's going to be met with some some controversy for his political affiliations. But, like, you know, this isn't a political show. I'm not going to sit here and debate him on that. Um, I believe that he is passionate and he, um, you know, he believes his point of view. That's a, that's what you want from a politician. You want somebody who's got a point of view. If it's different from yours, at least it can be respected and, you know, if you, you disagree with it, you, you debate them. But, you know, as long as they, they have other people's interests in mind, you you know, you've got to at least... Uh, You've got to give them that. All right, I always go to Twitter here. It's your opportunity to ask me questions. Found objects since modern wrestling has pulled back the curtain so much and the internet lets rumors and truths spread with ease. Will there be enough juicy stuff left for good shoot interviews in the future? Um, probably not. It was uh, uh, something we discussed a lot of kayfabe commentaries. What is the shoot interview going to look like in 10 years? I mean, what is John Cena going to tell us that we didn't already know from reading The Observer and just reading stuff on the Internet and, you know, participating in the Internet wrestling community and getting news right away and hearing backstage fight stories and whatever else? I mean, you know, it's no mystery that the damn things work so that you know stories about that aren't going to exactly captivate us so what are the things that are going to be shooty well we tried to figure that out we tried to change what the shoot interview looked like we did that show raven's wrestler rescue uh, a makeover show where raven took talent and made them over and changed the gimmick and sent them back out Uh, we tried to do different things um so it's going to change whatever it's going to be Maybe it's going to be a discussion of Guatemalan spirits. Listen, that's never going to get old. That aspect of it's never going to get old. If we're going to sit here and talk about the night on, you know, Monday Night Raw when Hoovy went stiff on him, yeah, we're going to hear that. We're going to hear it on everybody's shoot interview. It's going to be in books. It's going to be all over the place. It's going to be a podcast. But listen, if you've got some stories about the Guatemalan spirits, and, and, and let me tell you, he sends me a picture a week after this. I didn't tell us in the front end of the show. Talking about Vampiro. Sends me a picture. Of the morgue with the two bodies in it. Those were the two spirits that uh, clung on to him. Because he, he wasn't protected. His head, I don't fucking remember. Something. He, we're going to have Vamp on. Vamp's going to come on and talk about this with me, okay? Trying to get it for next week. Um, but it will be soon. Uh, let's go to another question here. Um, oh, cha-cha. Brian Doyle, what's the weirdest acting job you had or put in for? When I was a much younger man... I went out for a an on camera. I was probably in my mid young early twenties or something, and it was for a public service am- announcement for I think AIDS maybe or safe sex something like that. Where the audition was, you walked in, they paired you if you were a man with a young lady, and you sat on the couch and you made out. That was the goddamn audition. I think there were a couple of lines and then you had to kiss. I guess they were looking for chemistry. I don't know. I had, I, I, I had one partner, one female. We did it and then they, they didn't call me back after. I think I was thrown. That's, that's not what I was in the fucking business for. That's the kind of shit, you know, you hear about out in, you know, out in California. Go down to some guy named Skip's Basement with the wood paneling. Says he's going to audition you for a film, and he's got the you know the VHS camera. Tells you to sit down. He whips out his beach, and it's you know it's in your fucking mouth. Well, maybe some sort of me. Maybe that was just me. Um, 
Yeah, so I didn't uh, I, I didn't get that gig, but that was that was the weirdest uh, audition I'd ever been on. Uh, Maverick, how do you feel about YouTubers posting KC clips? Couldn't you have them taken down? Yeah, we we have we we did, but I, I always thought that clips were great advertising for our shows. It was a way that our shows um, lived in the public sphere. Um, people could happen upon them just watching wrestling videos could happen upon who had never seen a shoot interview who wouldn't know to to look for us would happen upon that and uh, I always thought it was great advertising now when somebody posted 20 15 minute clips of the same show that equates to the entire program and you have to have them pulled but uh, for you know for a long time my my attitude was always that it was great advertising um, let's see Dismal abysmal. Who's high pitch? I can't do it today because I have the gimmick here. Uh, Salvatore Martone is the proper pronunciation of Teresa's last name, Judice or uh, Judici. Um, I swear it's the latter. I think you Jersey people mispronounce it just to rib normal people like you do with gabagool and calling marinara sauce gravy. I never really called it gravy. It was always sauce. Um, I know the Sunday gravy gimmick, but I, I, it's always, it was always sauce to, to anyone I knew. Um, I believe it's, uh, if, if it's Giudice, it would be how it would be pronounced in Italy, right? For the, the G-I-U is the Jew, and Dice, the D-I-C-E. Um, but who cares, Salvatore? I mean, really. Gabagool is capacol, obviously, right? The, the, uh, the cold cut. The meat, give you the meat. That's what you want, baby. All right, here. Let's see. Let's... Uh, all right, let's wrap it up with calling spots. Gathering all the knowledge you've gained through your massive body of work, what would you say the general consensus is on working with or for Vince? Not fans or journalists, folks who have actually taken instruction and direction for a number of years from him. Excellent question. We were going to do, when we, w- there was a time at KC where we wanted to take our voluminous catalog and transcribe it all into words so that we could search for things and we can find clips of shows easily. We started to do it. We were spending a fortune doing it and we put out one best of show. It was called uh, You Shoot's Sexiest. And I, it did very marginal return so we decided it wasn't worth the, the money or the effort to, con- to continue to do it. But one of the documentary style things we wanted to construct from our programming was a Vince retrospective. What are the things people have said about Vince on our programs? But I've talked to as many people off camera and probably more off camera than on camera. So the consensus on Vince is that, listen, he's a hardened businessman. Okay, so uh, he, he's very he's very cold. He's, he's hard-hearted. But, I mean, we could probably talk about any titan of industry that way. The bottom line is if you were making him money, and you were getting your push, you probably felt Vince was a great partner. He gave you a spot. He put you on national TV, on on wrestling's biggest stage. Um, People have parted in bad ways with Vince. Um, But how much was their fault? How much was his fault? He's got one responsibility. Vince has one job. And we started the top of the show with it entertainment be entertaining if you're not 
you don't deserve the spot right now. It doesn't mean you're not a great worker. You might not have found the right gimmick yet. How many times did people have to come back two or three times before they became something marketable? But what, do you, what is he going to do? Push people who aren't, who aren't garnering a rating? Especially from the 90s and the, the, those Monday Night Wars were so under the microscope. I suspect that the size and success of the person you ask about Vince McMahon uh, will scale with uh, the positive things they have to say about him. And the, the reciprocal is also true. I think that uh, those that didn't have their shot might have bad things to say about Vince. I have only good things to say about Vince. He's got to do this. He's got to do it. He's got to let me do the shoot. He's got to let me do the ultimate shoot. He'd be so over. God, someone tell him, please, while he's with us, while he's alive. Else he may just be a spirit that follows me over my head from Connecticut. All right, once again, the curtain must close on us here. This has been a production of Sean Oliver Media, as you know. And uh, the music was by the great Kevin McLeod, licensed for Creative Commons license. Listen, you want to help support this program? Do you want to be a producer? It's all about Patreon, baby. Patreon.com slash podcast. Become a patron. Make your measly $1.99 a month donation. And uh, let's help keep this thing going, guys. All right. Have a productive week or lay on your ass and smoke weed in the basement. Doesn't really matter to me as long as you join me next week. Ciao.